It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Welcome to the program, Jax, Kurt. We're here together. We got some great stuff to get to. Uh, University of Miami, great. Ray Bellamy will swing by the program, getting honored by the ACC. Uh, we're looking forward to having a conversation with him. Um, we'll also get into uh, Hispanic Heritage Month and, and uh, specifically a couple weeks ago, um, Clemente Day, and the yeah. 50th anniversary, uh, by the way, of the 71 uh, Pirates is running through right now. Uh, <laughs> okay. The first team to field an all-black lineup. So we'll get into all that in just a little bit. But right now, uh, it's it's a huge story that I'm keeping an eye on, uh, Kirk. And let's put perspective on what's happening in the NBA first. Correct. Um, 90% of the players are vaccinated. Yes. 90%. So we're, we're, we're literally talking about 40, 45 guys that are not. Uh, 100% of the coaches, staff, um, are vaccinated, right? So the vast majority, well surging past uh, societal norms in that space. Uh, but the, we, with what Kyrie Irving has laid down, uh, for anyone that's missed it, um, there's there's all this speculation around Kyrie, who has not publicly let us know anything, right? By the way, um, but he's liked these conspiracy sites <laughs> at, on Instagram. Um, and so these lines are being drawn to the insane directly to Kyrie, who's being um, super private in a very public career. And so I'm all over the place on if this is a Kyrie problem, if this is a league issue, if this is a societal issue, speaking about freedoms when you work in uh, this type of atmosphere. It's, it's, all, it's a mess is the bottom line. Um, you want to try to get to 100%, but 90% puts you in a really good spot, according right. to the really smart people, uh, as it pertains to your <laughs> league. But there are some municipalities, Kirk, and you found a brand new story that uh, popped up uh, as we were about to tape here on Wednesday uh, about the, the, the line that's been drawn in the sand. Mm-hmm. But New York, two NBA teams. Yes. San Francisco. Correct. Um, that's the Warriors. So Yeah. Those municipalities have made it plain. You will not participate in in any event indoors if you're not vaccinated. So Knicks games, Nets games, Warriors games, you must be vaccinated to get all that squared away. And so that being said, um, we've had the stories with Wiggins. We had the story, uh, the speculation, again, with Kyrie. Kyrie. Um, And and another 43 guys, by my count, (laughs) that are – uh, in a different place. And and whatever the place may be, and it might be health dynamics, it might be religion. I'm assuming all of that, as we saw with Wiggins, is being adjudicated. Um, his submission for a religious exemption was turned down, by the way. Um, what has the league dropped just moments ago about uh, you missing games due to 
um, not being vaccinated. Yeah, this is uh, from NBA spokesman Mike Bass. Uh, and he says, and I quote, any player who elects not to comply mm-hmm. with the local vaccination mandates will not be paid for games that he misses. So any player who elects not to comply with the local vaccination mandates, like you just laid out, Jax, yeah, will not be paid for games in which they miss due to COVID. We're about so, to learn a lot about people's conviction right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How much do you love the? How much do you love the game? <laughs> a lot about it. Uh, where, where are you standing on this? I've, I've moved all over the place. Right. I'm trying to be in the place where I'm thoughtful about individual desires. This is an association. This is a, a a particular atmosphere in which everyone really needs to be on the same page. Right. And um, again, I'm not going to negate the fact that we're talking about 45 dudes. Right. Or 450. Um, because that's, you know, that's corralable. That's understandable. That's identifiable. Uh, mm-hmm. The line has been drawn in the sand, particularly for those uh, three buildings. And uh, again, Kyrie has not come out to tell us what the story is. Right. And we're going to find out. Right. <laughs> he's either going to be yeah. on the floor or he's not going to be on the floor. And by the way, his home building is at play. Same with Wiggins. So, I mean, we're talking about now the potential of losing 41 game checks. I'm under the assumption that ain't happening. <laughs> no, that ain't going to happen. Uh, he'll figure it out. Maybe more, though, because you got to throw in those games you mentioned and those other uh, local yeah. mandates, right? When he plays the Warriors, it's going to be the same thing like you mentioned. Right. Three more games. Yeah, yeah three more time. games. <laughs> um, you know, this is, is, is a little bit different, Jax, because when I look at the NFL angle to this as well, you know, we went through this as a league in the beginning of August, um, you know, when the NFL had its sort of s- similar uh, language, you know, guys who or teams that miss games due to COVID outbreaks, you know, guys won't be paid. And you saw that threshold for a lot of teams go up to upwards of 95 percent per team. And I would say right about now, maybe more of like a closer to 100 throughout the league. A lot of it was because of necessity. Um, if you wanted to play in the National Football League, you were going to have to be vaccinated because teams were not going to bring in unvaccinated players to try out during the weeks, um, to bring in for a workout, to bring in uh, and sign to their team. They needed documentation. Say, hey, are you vaccinated? We can bring you in. I think it's going to be similar with the NBA because we haven't heard much of this from the NFL, you know, in terms of maybe Cole Beasley was a guy, Buffalo Bills wide receiver, really outspoken about, I I don't want to take the vaccine. I'm not going to be pressured. I don't mind to have to do all the extra stuff, you know, taking extra tests and not being able to sit with certain teammates and being six feet apart. He said, look, I I understand what's at at risk for me. I understand what's going on. And look, we we kind of followed that story for a day, two days, but you know, in the 24-hour news cycle, it went away. In the NBA, it's a little bit different because I think, you know, watching some of these, you know, media days, I know you've been, in, you know, knee-deep in these media days over the last couple, couple <laughs> days, man. So first of all, I'm always thankful that you get a little opportunity to come hang out with me for a little yes, bit sir. of time. But, you know, hearing the players and why they did it, and hearing players who said that they were on the fence about it and hearing players said, I did my research. That was the one that, that really took me, Jax, was that I saw NBA players 
tell the media, tell people who are listening, all the, the people across this country, I had to do my research. I had to come up with my own opinion and not an opinion that was drawn by politics, by religion, by you know people who you know or may not know. I had to make this decision on my own. I thought overall that was the, my big takeaway over these last couple of days in terms of players speaking out about why they're vaccinated or not. I have no problem. Uh, the due diligence that one has to do to get there. I, listen, I have family members. I had to convince that Correct. this was not something that once occurred um, in the black community for people of a certain age. Yeah. Uh, that Tuskegee debacle, that debauchery, that evil that occurred, the U.S. government uh, basically giving syphilis to men. Yeah. Just to study how it, how that disease. Um, ravages another race is despicable, disgusting, and can create so much distrust that it's, you know, rolled on through all these generations. I had to convince family members that that was not this, right. and this is not that, and that there is this space that people had to get over. And I'm glad right. that particularly someone like LeBron, and I'm not sure what he was actually dealing with, you know, in, in, in his skepticism initially, maybe it was simply that, um, that you allow for that, particularly when you're talking about family and friends yeah. and when your body is your business. Mm. But in the end, it comes down to this is what's required. Right. <laughs> like, let's get this straight. <laughs> this is yeah. uh, a, a, a allowed monopoly, right? <laughs> a legislated legal monopoly. Correct. So if you have a druther to go play someplace else in the world, I guess you might find a league that doesn't have this dynamic, but you're also not going to find um, the same caliber of play or pay. Hmm. And so if there are power plays that are happening, I'm not accusing anyone of that just yet. Right. Um, the league will survive without you. Oh, most definitely. And that's what guys don't realize. Yeah, this thing, some guys who survive yeah. without the league at this point, right? They've got enough right. to go. Correct. Um, I just don't know why you wouldn't think, and this is the last point I'll make it, I'll leave it for you to comment. It, it just think about the vulnerable people that work on your staffs. Right. Right. Learned and experienced trainers, older head and assistant coaches, people who are in your traveling party that may have. Uh, conditions where they need to be around everyone who is vaccinated and that not being a part of your decision-making process. It, um, it says a great deal about you. I know that. Mm. Well, a long time ago, Jax, you, uh, we were having this discussion. I don't know if you remember it, but we had this discussion early in the pandemic about on a nightly basis, how many people that you come in contact with at the arena. Mm. Mm. And I always remember that. And I remember you told me I can be in contact with close to 50 to a hundred people per night, just Jeez. from the television people, the people who work at, you know, whether it's the parking garage from the parking garage over to, I mean, you said the, you know, the, the, the security guards, the people who work concessions, the people who work the television, 
all the people who work down on the floor, the players, officials, referees. And it kind of, I was thinking about that when we're going to discuss this topic because I I heard Anthony Davis speak about it in his presser for media day, Lakers media day. And he said, look, I just wanted to be safe for myself and for my family because I can't help but be in contact with many of these people who are part of my everyday life. Right. You know, so many people who contribute to what I do on a daily basis. And for me not to do that, he he felt like almost as if it was, he didn't say this, but he was like, it would be irresponsible of me not to because of what I go through every single day, which he loves to embrace and and talk and, and be around and get to know the people who help him do his job. And so I just thought that was, uh, that was something because I remember you mentioned it before, just how many people you come in contact with daily and how hard it is to try to stay away from those people. And you say, you know what? I, I don't want to do that. I want to protect myself and still be able to congratulate and thank the people who I'm with every single day. Amen. Amen. Story ain't going away. We're no, it ain't going away. We'll watch it for the uh, first couple of weeks. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I think we'll see some people on the floor after that mandate from the league. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's all about the U. You know how <laughs> I love the U, baby. One of the greats, Ray Bellamy, you know, before all these cats that we uh, connect to the greatness of the U, uh, there was a great, there was an all-time great. And the ACC has its inaugural Unite Award and Mr. Bellamy is one of the recipients. We'll talk with him about that. We'll return right here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Jason Jackson. Kirk Morrison, and we got some great news from the ACC. The Atlanta Coast Conference has announced the recipients of the inaugural ACC Unite Award, which Kirk was created to honor individuals affiliated uh, with the conference who have made an impact in the areas of racial and social justice. Uh, One of the recipients representing the University of Miami, uh, my man, Ray Bellamy joins us here on Forward Progress. Ray, congratulations. What did it mean to you to have this, this reach back to you and the connection of, by the way, your impact in this area was living your life, by the way, every single day uh, back when you were playing at the University of Miami? Well, I, I, again, I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty uh, shocked and, and just inside, just jumping up and down and turning cartwheels simply because I really didn't think that people was really taking a look at the uh, effort that I made. And so for them to to reach out and embrace what uh, myself and the university was able to accomplish, uh, I I, I thank them for that. And and the key component that a lot of people don't realize is how I was embraced by the greater Miami community. You know, Mr. Traz Powell used to be at every football practice. When every day when I went out there, Trash Powell was walking out there and saying hello and being kind. And then there was another gentleman named Jimmy Hodges that was the equipment man for the University of Miami. 
And when I first got there, he uh, took me home with him and took me to church with him. And uh, uh, ironically, I had an opportunity about three months ago, uh, I was invited to church. And um, I took on this friend of mine, his name is Greg Lattimore. I said, okay, I'm going to go to church with you. And it's really amazing. The first place I ever went when I came as a student athlete, I went to that church and that was the church. And I went, wow, I, I, I couldn't believe it. So the university and the community and people like you all that cares and was trying to figure out what was right and what was wrong and how we could have done better, I thank you. And I just want to say uh, it was uh, it was some kind of journey now. I, I, I will tell you that. And it was challenging. And there's a lot of things uh, that I have not communicated uh, publicly that took place that people don't even know about. Some things I'll take to my grave. But uh, it wasn't um, uh, an easy street. I'll put it that way. And I had to deal with issues and uh, with the people that reached out to me and that was trying to do the right thing. And uh, when it comes to social justice, I'm still looking for it. Oof. I'm still, and I'm serious. I'm yep. still looking for it. nothing against anybody, just a fact. Right. And, and then, and, you know, and the contributions that was made by individuals, and I'm talking Henry King Stanford, and I'm talking Trez Powell, and I'm talking attorney Harold Long that lost his life to COVID. Uh, uh, individuals that did outstanding things, but holistically, it was unbelievable. It was, um, you had to get up every day and meet the challenge. I mean, there were things that took place. Uh, my own teammates, huh. when I first got there, tried to hurt me. Uh, hit me when the play was over. Huh jumping on me when I was on the ground. Right. I mean, not all the guys. One of the guys that stands out in my mind that was a tremendous athlete and a great human being is Ted Hendricks. Wow. Ted Hendricks was a guy that didn't, you know, when we were there, they had a, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it. I didn't like it, but anyway, uh, everybody had to be someone's rat. If you was a freshman, you couldn't play. You had to sit out your first year as a freshman, and then you got to play your sophomore year. So I was Ted Hendricks' rat. Now, I didn't even, I never thought I was a rat, but they was cutting people's head off and, you know, cutting their hair <laughs> and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? This ain't working for me. So uh, I went, uh, we were, we were working hard. We lost to great Lou Patel. He was my freshman quarterback. And he's the guy that really made people know what my capabilities were because he threw me the ball. Even if it wasn't, um, I wasn't the primary, he still bought that ball to me. And so he gave me an opportunity to excel. And he believed in doing what was right when wasn't nobody watching. And he did that. And so um, I end up um, meeting Ted Hendricks and we we still friends to this day. And they was going to make me sing my alma mater uh, <laughs> from my high school. And I told them I ain't know it. <laughs> they, they, ain't believe me. 
know, and they told me I was gonna sing, and I told them, no, 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 I don't, I don't know no songs, and I can't sing. And so it was like a big thing. They were all going crazy there. And um, and Ted Hendricks walked in. And he said, what's going on up in here? <laughs> I said, uh, they want me to sing. <laughs> he said, sing? I said, yeah. He said, well, do you want to sing? I said, no. He said, we're going to leave. <laughs> I, I hit the door. That guy is amazing. And he was like... Um, captain of the team he was a three-time all-american he uh -huh. never bought into that craziness and he told me he said well you gonna leave and then nobody said a word <laughs> and i walked out but you know there was a uh, in a number of things and and um i got beat up i got beat up bad uh, mm -hmm. when i was first there by my own teammates uh we did a walk through one day and uh and I, I, I guess they were really upset because we were beating them. Uh -huh. We, you know, I go to practice one day and I score six touchdowns, <laughs> and that don't make nobody happy. Not no you freshman. You're <laughs> right, and especially if you're the starting defense and right. you got. But there was really the way I looked at. It. I never looked at it uh, at the time that way, but. Cause like I the drilling and I was busy trying to trying to be a part of a uh uh an organization that brought me in and that and the organization, meaning the university, they wanted me in, but I had some individuals that did not want me in. So I was trying to fit being a misfit. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a little sense, Ray, but I, I do want to ask you about in 1971, you being voted Miami's first. African-American student body president. Is, is that something that was, was on your heart? Is that something that you kind of grew into having dealt what you said you had to deal with in your early years playing football that you wanted to bring guys, not just on the football field, but sports in general? Cause I know you played multiple sports, but being, uh, you know, selected as the African-American student body president. What do you remember about that? Oh, wow. Well, um, I remember that it wasn't my idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you things that's not true. There was a guy, and his name was George Knox. He's an attorney, and he's a retired attorney, and he lives, um, I'm trying to think of where he lives now. Um, I can't think of um, where he lived, but right near Fort Pierce. He, he, he used to be the attorney for the city of Miami. Okay. But before that, he was a law student. And his wife, Joyce Knox, Joyce Knox, she was uh, employed by the University of Student Affairs. And um, I had uh, I had built a relationship uh, with the students in the community. I had no idea that I would one day run for president of student body. And I got a, a phone call and, and they told me that George and Joyce was looking for me and and this is how it unfold i i had no idea i was gonna do this and and they called me and they said they wanted to talk to me will i have lunch with them and i said yeah we can have lunch uh the lunch cafeteria was really right around the corner from the training table so i walked around there and i sat and i had lunch with them and they said to me uh george and george knox said 
Bray, you need to run for president student body. And I said, what? And they said, you need to run for president student body. And he said, just listen, hold on, just listen to what we have to say and then tell me what you think. And they said to me, it's not just the best thing for you to do. It ain't about you, Ray. He said, it's the best thing for our university and it's the best thing for the student body. For you to run because the kids here respect you and you can get some things done by being president of student body. And it'll be good for all parties involved if you will run. And I said, listen, I've done that. See, they didn't even know it. I said, listen, I've done that before. I said, and that's a pain in that butt. <laughs> you know, hey, I have been president of student body in high school, president yeah. of the National Honor Society. I was involved, you know, all my life, president of all student council in the state of Florida when it was an all black thing. So I, I had experience in being in student leadership. As a matter of fact, I still do my Thanksgiving drive. That started and originated at my high school because my family was migrant workers and my father had trucks. And so we drove one of the trucks around in the community, gathering up canned goods to give to people that was less fortunate than we were. And that's where my Thanksgiving drive, if you might remember, Mr. Jackson, when the National Association of Black Journalists, uh, they uh, honored me. And they mentioned that, and I was shocked because I didn't even know they knew. And they mentioned that, and that happened at my high school. That's how I got started. So I had been involved in student leadership. And so I told them, I don't know if I was going to do it, but uh, let me think about it. And then I went to Burgess Owens, who was my roommate and my friend. And Burgess said to me, you need to do it. And you think it's a great idea. And then I had another friend, a white male named James Rydell. And Jim and I was extremely close. He told me that I should run. So everybody that I talked to told me that I, that I needed to do it because it was in the best interest of everybody involved, the university, the students, and myself. And, you know, they were right when I think about it now, but I didn't feel that way then. And so that's why I run. It was someone else's idea. It, you, you know, and I just want to add this, Stuart, so you understand. It was never about Ray Bellamy. It really wasn't. It, you know, I, I, I'm working on a book right now. And the title of the book is Henry's Idea. Because it was Dr. Henry King Stanford idea to bring a black athlete to the University of Miami. I didn't know I was going to be the first black athlete to go to the University of Miami. Uh, Henry King Stanford told the head football coach to bring in a black athlete. So everything I've done, well, hold on to your seat. It's been somebody else's idea. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Ray, listen, you have been fantastic. We're going to have to have you back so you can tell the rest of the story and sell this book with us, by the way. Uh, yeah. but we're so happy for you. We're so, you know what, and really excited that the ACC took the opportunity in the first year of their award focused on racial and social justice uh, to really, really uplift the athletes that showed up, both male and female, to integrate the athletic teams at each current ACC institution. Congratulations, and uh, we hope to talk to you soon. Hey, you guys are wonderful. I can't believe you thought a little on me. 
I appreciate <laughs> it so very much. And thank you. And Mr. Jackson, also, I want to thank you for working with my friend's daughter. If you might remember that night, I introduced yes, you to her. And you, I mean, she just raved about the way in which you did all those wonderful things to try to help her. And I want to thank you for that. Listen, somebody you know? did it for me. It's the least I can do. I appreciate hey, you, sir. Thank you hey, so much for the time. Hey, and your wife, thank you. And thank you, yes. sir. I appreciate you. you guys. And Thanks, uh, look forward to talking to you next time. As we continue here on Forward Progress, we celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. We'll let you know how when we come back right here. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. So glad you're still with us here on the program as we get ready to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. There's just these awesome timeline moments that are connected to this, Kirk. First things first, a couple of weeks ago now uh, was Clemente Day. And when you think about um, the greats from Major League Baseball that uh, are of Hispanic descent, right? Uh, Clemente is at the top of the list. And listen, man, one of the best right fielders of all time. That man had a cannon, yeah, uh, assembled <laughs> to his to his shoulder. But why we don't have him with us uh, was his passion for off the field. Um, trying his very best to make sure that those that were going without had something. Um, his real legacy, Roberto Clemente, is his passion to help. Yeah, Jax, it, it's about that number for me, 21. And number 21 is something that, you know, you, you grow up watching guys, and I didn't get a chance to watch Roberto Clemente, but I knew that name. And so for me as a, a young baseball historian, I did, you know, I was watching, I was looking, I was like, man, number 21 was fast. He was running around the bases. I mean, you know, you start thinking of all my old school guys, man, the Lou Brock's right. Frank, I mean, Hank Aaron's Frank Robinson's like, those are the guys who the, the older guys who taught me the game would tell me about. And so I had to do my research. I had to do it. You know, and I didn't have Google. I didn't have a computer. So we had to watch old films we had to go look up in the history books and you had to hear stories and tales, you know what I mean? Which made it a lot better too. Because <laughs> guys, some guys exaggerate, man, you know, Clemente, boy, he'll throw you off from the parking lot. You know, you're like, oh. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, that's the big part that I was thinking of was that what he was doing off the field, Jax, um, doesn't get enough notoriety, I think. And for at a time when, Baseball, it, it was America's pastime. And he was taking space in a pastime that not a lot of people were were, uh, were with, that were understanding of it. They didn't like it. But yet he was doing it, not just for him, but for many Latin players that came after him. That what he did, a lot of people would fall in his, will walk in his footsteps when he would walk away from the game or when he was done advocating for so many. Right. Clemente, uh, for those who don't know, is the first player from Latin America to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. His talent, as Kirk was just talking about, uh, was off the charts. 18-year playing career, all with the Pirates, mm -hmm. two-time World Series champion, 12-time 12 12-time Gold Glove <laughs> winner, 15 All-Star games. Uh, I believe he was the MVP in 66. 
and he was the first Latin American player uh, to reach the 3,000 hit mark. But with all of that, think about his last living action. Mm -hmm. He chartered a plane to deliver supplies to earthquake victims in Nicaragua. And that plane crashed off the coast of his native Puerto Rico. He's not Nicaraguan. But he felt right. like he needed to reach out to those people because they were simply in need. Um, New Year's Eve, it was the off season. Right. Um, about four months before I was born in 1972. But his reputation as a selfless humanitarian um, is the thing that, that's, that's the drum you beat even more right. than, than how, how great of a player he is. Um, in Major League Baseball, R Roberto Clemente Day, um, it's an opportunity to remember his skill set, but just that desire in a time when the world seemed huge, Kirk, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. There was no internet. There was no, uh, it wasn't easy to, to, to fly places around the world at a moment's notice, you know? Hell, we used to dress up back then to go uh, <laughs> to get on a plane. Um, but it, it's the acknowledgement on this day, and it, and it spills right. right into Hispanic Heritage Month, um, that, uh, you know, this man stood up to bigotry and racism throughout his career. He was on that team, that 71 Pirates team, that was black and brown up and down the roster. The very first squad, man. Um, that, that would field a, a, a team of all men of color. The significance of that is massive because the color barrier was broken in 47. So it took all that time to get to a, a spot where organizations were simply trying to field the very best players right. and not worrying about anything else. Yeah, it was that time that which, you know, you felt like, okay, we got to get the best players out there. And you wanted to also, Jax, you wanted to be first too. Like people were like, oh, I, we'll wait, we'll wait. Like, no, I mean, these teams were, were, were great. We're, you, 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 you hear those names, right? Those teams of the seventies and how baseball really started to push that envelope. And it, and it was because of those types of players. And Roberto Clemente also served, I believe he served a little time in the Marine Corps as well. And people didn't realize that he was just as, as much of an American as well because of having spent so much time here and then going out and playing. So you see it from both sides is that, hey, I'm also here in America doing, you know, things in which people said I shouldn't be doing, but I'm also here to play the game and entertain you. And then I also want to have a voice in what I'm doing. Uh, I, that, that to me was also something that I, for me, like I said, growing up, first of all, you see his appearance, you know, was, was sharp, you know, clean cut. He made the jersey look, you know what I mean? And I'm like, wow. Special. And it, he was. And, you know, Clemente Day, very similar to Jackie Robinson Day, too, you know, 42. Those are like iconic numbers for me, 42, 21, when it comes to baseball, because those two men meant so much to groups of people. 
not just their own particular race, but more than that, right? Because of the way they played the game, how they enjoyed it, how they loved it, but also how they incorporated everyone. You know, some people may think that, oh yeah, you know, the, the color barrier and you mentioned all the, the 71 pirates and, and all that stuff. But I think for the, the, the bigger, bigger part of it, Jax, was that they made everyone feel involved too. They made the game fun. It was never about, um, it never was about me. It was always about us, like you mentioned, doing things for others. How can I help you more so than you help me? So let's put this all in perspective. Um, you know, I don't know how long Roberto would have played, but he probably had 20 years in him. Oh, yeah, easy. Um, that means he got called up in 55, dude. Yeah. 1955. <laughs> and he's Afro-Latino. Yeah. Right? Basically, you look at him, you're like, oh, there's a brother. And there's then brother. some Spanish starts coming out. And you're like, oh, wait, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he was subjected to the same Jim Crow laws as black folks. And yep. pirate spring training was in Fort Myers, Florida at the time. And like the other black players of that era, he was not allowed to stay at the same hotels or share meals uh, with his white teammates at restaurants. Um, this is not the way, you know, he grew up in Puerto Rico. You know, it was super integrated in that space, even though different hues of, of Latinos. But um, imagine that. He and so many great mm -hmm. black players of the era go to spring training and they're second-class citizens. Mm. I mean, it just like all these same folks that'll get in the stands, clap and cheer, maybe even buy the jersey, but it's like, oh, no, you can't. We ain't, gonna, we ain't having lunch with you. Wow. Bobby. <laughs> you know, like just <laughs> nuts, man. Yeah, nuts, and, and you're and and you're a marquee face of the league. Yeah, and, and then I was just looking again, you know, that this was at a time where you know obviously guys that, that wasn't your main job too was playing baseball, right? It's what you did at that time. But what did you do in the off season with your time? And yeah. seeing that he, you know, he was still you know enlisted as a United States Marine Corps. <laughs> Right. He did that in his off seasons. It was still serving others. You know what I mean? And those parts, because now we would never even think of doing that. You know, I know obviously football players and say, yeah, you know, football players now, basketball, you know, you, you, you play your sport and that's it. Whereas back then you off seasons, you had to get a job, <laughs> right? You had to do more. And so I yeah. think it does put into perspective what you mentioned is that you play a game for a period of time and people cheer you. They're excited. They want you to help their team win and all is all. But then when that game is over and you walk out of that locker room, you realize that I still have to be a part of this country that is still at times won't accept me or my heritage or my background. And I can only imagine how that will pull on the strings of guys. I right, pull on the strings of guys because, yeah, I look a little different than you. Yeah, I talk a little different than you. But that doesn't make me any different. Brother, I want to run through these numbers just a little bit because it, just the majority of our listeners are just, you know, you got to be 50 or older 
to remember this. I mean, older right. than I'm about to be 50 and I wasn't around <laughs> for his career. It just, this dude, listen to this slash for the 1971 World Series. He was the MVP, obviously. He hit 414. Mm -hmm. His on base percentage was 452. He slugged 759. <laughs> oh, yeah. He hit 414. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, therefore becoming the first Latin American player to receive the series MVP award. Um, it, it's something else when you think about it, man. Uh, his performance included two home runs, uh, the second a solo shot in the fourth inning of game seven. Uh, it was a 2-1 win for the Pirates and gave him that victory over the Baltimore Orioles. It's just something else. It, it feels like a million years ago. But I'm glad that the current Latin players keep the memory alive, that the league makes this such an important uh, day, that there's an award uh, in his name for those men who are still, you know, cranking it out um, to be supportive of their community um, at such a high level led by this wonderful example. Oh, I agree. And it, these are the stories I mentioned. I said that, that needs to keep being told, that needs to younger players to understand you know, we've, we've had this discussion about other sports and how you can incorporate um, the past, let the players know and understand the past of how you got to where you are, right? How, how did this really come about? And so when I look at, you know, the Fernando Tatis now, right? The Acuna, Ronald Acuna juniors, you know what I mean? I look at some of the young Latin players who go out and play now and they've been able to walk because guys like Roberto Clemente had to crawl. Right. They didn't have the same fanfare. I mean, they had the fanfare, but now just think about where you're at now and where you were before. I was having a discussion with one of my buddies the other day. We were just talking about, man, look at that. They got it so easy now. I said, yeah, but think about when we played. Think about the guys who were before us and what they were saying about us. Oh, man, they got it so easy. That's what you want. You want the next generation to have it better than you have it. Right. I, I don't want them to have to suffer what we went through. I don't want them to have to go. If it can be better for exactly. them, then that's so be it. That's how you pass it along. They always say, when you leave the house, I want to make sure that I leave it better for you when you get there. I don't want to leave it a mess. I don't want to leave it messed up. And you got to come in and clean up all the stuff that we did. No, how about let's leave it better for the next person. And I can definitely say that that's what Clemente to me he, you know, symbolizes Jackie Robinson. He symbolized that they left the game. They left their legacy better for the next person to be able to climb on their backs and their shoulders and to continue and move it forward. The amazing thing is, and we'll break this all down, is what the league looks like today is probably what he dreamed of, right? right. The international field dominated by Latin Spanish-speaking players uh, of Hispanic uh, ascent. Um, now you got on the 2021 opening day rosters, 256 players from 20 countries and territories, the majority of them from Latin America. They included 18 players from Puerto Rico. Wow. Many of them who modeled their game after Clemente. And that's, by the way, by word of mouth and some grainy video. Oh, yeah. That's them old grandfather sit you on, on the knee tell you some folk tales. Let me tell you about a kid named Bobby Clemente Walker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Roberto, loving it. 
Uh, what a great honor yeah. and uh, a, a great way for the league to maintain its proper history and, and extend a challenge, by the way, to all of its players, not just its uh, players from Latin American countries, but um, from everywhere around the world. This game, man, was what got me to the position I'm in now, a love that I had, a love affair uh, right. for baseball. And it wasn't very good, Kurt. <laughs> I just loved being around it. You yeah, know? I was okay. And, and it's these images, you know. Did you play a little bit? You know, I got to my junior year of high school and played and remember my high school football coach came over and said look man we got to have a talk you can continue going down this path all right you can go down this focus. path but you have an ability and you have the opportunity that if you put your focus into playing football full-time you may be able to get your, your your college paid for so i said all right well and then i couldn't make the throw from third to first anymore so they stuck me in the right field because I had to be, you know, I started lifting weights. I had the big arm. But the only thing with me, Jax, it was either a home run or a strikeout. And I wasn't hitting a lot of home runs. So oh, <laughs> it was a lot of strikeouts. I made contact. It was going to go. But I would say this, man, the, 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 the fun part about that was you, you enjoy playing the game. You have fun. But I always respected the history of the guys who played before me. Yeah. And I love that part of it. Always. Well, as we wrap up September and head to October, I'm glad that we were able to have a nice, intense, and lengthy conversation about the history of Roberto Clemente. Uh, before we run, to celebrate uh, Live is Alive, SiriusXM is giving current subscribers the chance to win two tickets to 12 of the biggest events on the 2022 sports calendar. Kirk, I believe, uh, goes to at least two of them. Uh, <laughs> I try. I mean, we're, we're talking about cash. Uh, for travel costs and expenses, uh, one winner and a guest will get the chance to travel the country and experience 12 marquee events, including Super Bowl 56. Kirk, I imagine you'll be there. Absolutely. Right here there in Los Angeles. Right there. there we go. Come on now. Uh, that one's in L.A., right? <laughs> yeah, Inglewood. That's in your backyard. Inglewood. And then uh, the NBA Finals, I'll be there. The World Series, courtesy all of Series XM. So many other ones. College Football Championship, that's another. Come yep. on. Kirk oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for official rules and to enter, go to SiriusXM.com slash Ultimate Sports Fan. Uh, no purchase necessary. Open to current SiriusXM subscribers as of July 21st, 2020. Ends October 15th, 2021. Valid where prohibited. We're so happy and thankful that we had Ray Bellamy, UM Great, getting the AGC Unite Award. Thanks for having him on the program. Purnell with the week off. Rich Mendez holding us down. Keeping mm -hmm. it all together. We appreciate that. For Kirk Morrison, I am Jason Jackson. Always a pleasure to have you with us here on Forward Progress. We'll talk to you next time.